If you'll reach for your Bibles with me and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Pastor Bruce will be in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. If you're in need of a Bible, there should be a pew Bible located in front of you. You can find today's scripture reading on page 1161. Matthew chapter 18, we'll be starting in verse 21, and I will be reading through the end of the chapter. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, follow along as I read. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, we humbly come, Lord. It's just great to be in your house this morning, Lord. Father, singing praises, Lord, of your victory. You are victorious, Lord, the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, Lord. Father, Lord, I just ask that you just speak to us this morning, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts, Father, no matter where we are in life, Lord. Meet us where we're at, as only you can, Father. And this I pray in your Son's victorious name. Amen. I invite you to keep your Bibles open this morning there to Matthew chapter 18 as we conclude our series on relationships in which we have been learning over the last three Sundays how sin in particular threatens to ruin our relationships in life. And at the same time, we've also been learning how the grace of God, the power of God's grace can restore our ruined relationships. Last Sunday, we talked about the importance of resolving conflict quickly. And one of the reasons we saw why it's so important to do so is because Satan is seeking a place in our hearts called grudge when we live with unresolved conflict in our relationships. So let me just, you know, start out this morning, kind of put everyone here in the same boat, on the same plane, and just begin with a simple question. Do you got a grudge here this morning? Do you got a grudge? You might not be able to physically see it, but is there hidden in your heart 
a grudge that you're holding on to. It's easy. We all know that. We understand that it's so easy to hold on to a grudge. Someone hurts you. Someone wrongs you. And instead of forgiving them, you hold a grudge against them. You know you should let it go, but you don't. In fact, you won't. And so you keep holding it. In fact, you're still holding it right now. You walked into church with it. You've got your grudge. And it is weighing you down. It is wearing you out. So that grudge is not only killing you, but as we will see, it is also killing your relationships. And in particular, specifically, it's killing that relationship in which you are holding a grudge against that very person. And so here's what we're going to see this morning. This is what we're going to learn from Peter and, more importantly, Jesus Christ relationships, this is in your notes coming up on the screen, relationships are ruined when you hold a grudge. But they are restored when you let go of your grudge through forgiveness. Holding on to a grudge is kind of like crying out for a life preserver while still clinging to an anchor. We have to choose one or the other. Our grip on grudges must be released. And not just for the sake of our relationships, but our very life depends on it. Listen, what happens is when we hold the grudge, we actually block the flow of mercy in our lives when we grip so tightly to those grudges that we want to hold on to. A Puritan once said, he that demands mercy and shows none ruins the bridge over which he himself is to pass. In other words, when you hold grudges, you are burning bridges. You are burning bridges in relationships. So let me ask again, do you got a grudge this morning? What we're going to see at the behest and the urging of Jesus Christ himself is to let it go. Let it go. Do you got a grudge? Let it go. Now, obviously, the question becomes how. How? And very simply, here's what we're going to see through the passage in Matthew 18. Let go of your grudge by choosing forgiveness over bitterness. Now, I will be the first to admit, forgiveness is so much easier to talk about than it is to practice, to do. And yet forgiveness has the power to bring incredible healing to your life and to your relationships. No doubt there are people in your life who have injured you. They have hurt you. They have offended you. They have said false things about you. They have wounded you with their actions and reactions. But regardless of how hurt you have been, the fallout from unforgiveness hurts you even more. And nowhere is this seen more clearly than when Jesus takes time to teach his disciples and even us here this morning how to pray. Listen to what Jesus says in what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome to. We find it in Matthew chapter 6. And you can look at it in Matthew 6, and then we'll jump back over to Matthew 18. And there in Matthew chapter 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus is teaching his followers, how to pray. He says in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And most of you are familiar with that prayer, but what you may not be so familiar with is what Jesus says here in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Wow. As we also have forgiven our debtors. God You mean you forgive us the same way we forgive everyone else? That's a little unnerving, to say the least. In verses 14 and 15, actually explains why Jesus taught us to pray in this manner. He says, look at it in chapter 6, For if you forgive others their trespasses or their offenses, their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, what we see here very clearly, that if we hold on to a grudge, if we hold fast to an unforgiving spirit, then we will not be forgiven by our Heavenly Father. And if we continue to live in this manner, if if that unforgiving spirit continues to characterize our life, then it reveals You have never really received God's eternal forgiveness for your sins. And we will not go to heaven. Why? Because heaven is the dwelling place of forgiven people. I would say forgiveness, well, it's a pretty big deal to God. And therefore, it should be a pretty big deal to us here this morning. Now, what is forgiveness? A working definition, we might define it this way. Forgiveness is a decision, so it's a choice. It's a decision we make to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you or hurt you, and we do this on the basis of God's forgiveness of us. So forgiveness is not a feeling. If we only forgave when we felt like it, listen, Darla and I would have been divorced 20 years ago. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me. So forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt they owe you. It's forsaking revenge. It's leaving justice in God's hands and even wanting good for your offender. In other words, forgiveness, it's letting go of your grudge against that person who hurt you and wronged you. You say, man, that sounds great in theory. But I don't think that works in real life with some of the real people that I have to deal with in my life. You don't know my situation. You don't know my circumstances, Bruce. After all, I'm sure that there are there's some cases in this world. There are some conditions in, in life. There are some causes that are unforgivable. I mean, I I imagine that God can't even forgive those people that I'm thinking of. Isn't that why hell exists for those people you just can't forgive? And if you believe this way, then you probably, more than likely, you enjoy Peter. Because you're going to find yourself in the same position as Peter. This is how Peter thought. You're in the same position as Peter. Peter's position. What's Peter's position? In fact, what's Peter got to do with all this forgiveness stuff? Well, I'm so glad you asked 
Because now that brings us back to Matthew 18, where we're going to dive into Peter and Jesus' position on forgiveness. Number one, Peter's position on forgiveness is limited. That's what we see here. Peter's position on forgiveness is limited. And we find this in Matthew 18. Now, we need to keep in mind the context in which we're going to see this. The whole context of the passage here, especially prior to this, is all about conflict resolution. So that's the context. In other words, what we learned last Sunday, not so much from Jesus' perspective, which we could have went to this passage to learn about conflict resolution. Instead, we took time and we saw what Paul, the Apostle Paul, had to say about conflict resolution from Ephesians chapter 4. But the context in which now Peter and Jesus talk about forgiveness is conflict resolution. Jesus had been teaching, in effect, listen, if you have a problem with somebody, if you have a conflict with somebody, go work it out. If you can, just let it go. But if you can't overlook the offense, then go sit down with that person and work it out. Why? Because nothing makes the Lord happier than to see his children living in harmony. Peter was listening to all this talk now. And no doubt. Peter's mind begins to race, begins to turn. He begins to think to himself, but, but what if, what if, what if? You, we can all identify with that, right? What if? what if? What if the person hurt my feelings twice? In fact, what, what, if, what if that person hurt my feelings and offended me seven times? I bet I could, I bet I, I could forgive that person seven times. And so Peter comes to Jesus with a whole lot of confidence, thinking he had this forgiveness thing down. He had it in the bag. And notice Peter's question in verse 21. It's in your notes. Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Now let's pause right there. What is Peter's position on forgiveness? Peter's position on forgiveness, immediately we see it's two things. It's, it's limited, but in, the, in that framework of limited, it's arrogance. It's also arrogance. Did you notice Peter's question? Look again. Peter asked the Lord, if somebody sins against me, am I supposed to forgive them seven times? You see, why do you think Peter arrogantly just assume that most sins on planet Earth is from others sinning against him. That's how he frames the question. Peter does not put it this way. Lord, listen, if I blow it, Lord, if, if, if I sin against someone as many as seven times, should they forgive me up to seven times? Oh, no, that's the problem with so many people who are carrying a grudge. Many of those same people have already determined it's your fault. Their position is no different than Peter's. You see, it's the rest of the world who is wrong. It's everyone else who sins, not me. I sin not. And I just want to say, what arrogance? Because that's basically what Jesus says here. What arrogance? So why, why, why does Peter magnanimously offer to forgive someone up to seven times? And the reason is because his position is limited forgiveness. You see, what you have to understand in context here, in really Jewish custom, 
Jewish law in that day required that you only had to forgive a person three times. And so Peter's thinking to himself, okay, well, three times is what the Jewish law says, and then I'll double the law and just throw one in for good measure. And Peter says, Lord, I I think it would be good to forgive seven times. Pretty generous of me, don't you think, Jesus? Wouldn't you say so, Lord? Man, I'm a righteous dude here. And so when Peter asked Jesus how often he should forgive, he was really looking for a way out of forgiveness. In essence, Peter is, he's looking for an excuse. Lord, what if I forgive one seven times? Is that enough? Is there a person that I do not have to forgive? Is there a sin I don't have to forgive? I need to put some limits on this forgiveness thing. I need to put it in a box. That's what Peter was looking for. Limits, a box for his forgiveness. Now, I'll raise my hand. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But do do we not all do the same thing? We all tend to want to limit forgiveness. We all tend to want to put it in a box. Like Peter, we look for limited forgiveness, but Peter is about to get his world turned upside down in a huge way here when he learns Jesus' position on forgiveness. And Jesus' position, point number two here, is unlimited forgiveness. You see, when Peter asked Jesus how often he should forgive, he offered to forgive seven times. He was expecting Jesus to say, wow, Peter, what a spiritual giant you are. You're at the top of my disciples. You are willing to forgive up to seven times. Wow. But notice Jesus' answer here in verse 22. It's in your notes. I tell you not, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. And I'm sure Peter must have gone, wait, what? I thought I was being righteous to forgive seven times. And and now, Jesus, you're telling me I have to forgive 70 times seven? Let's see. What's the math on that? 490 times. That's a lot of forgiveness. Who can keep count of 490 times? And that's exactly the point Jesus is making here. And see, Apostle Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love keeps no what? Record of wrongs. But that's what Peter's doing in his mind here. He's trying to, at least. You may think, would would somebody really do the same thing The same offense, 490 times. Listen, it doesn't matter. The point is, you don't keep track. Listen, if you have a tally sheet on your fridge, if you got a tally sheet on your phone, in your note reminders, and you're at 387, listen, you got a way bigger problem than life. Instead, Jesus is telling us here, don't look for a way out of forgiveness. Listen, you you are to be in a spirit. You are to have a spirit of forgiveness all the time. Jesus' whole point here is forgiveness is not to be measured nor counted, but freely given. Why? Because forgiveness, listen to me, in God's kingdom economy is unlimited. And as Christ followers, we are part of the kingdom of God. 
We are not part of the culture of this world which limits forgiveness, which holds grudges. That's what our philosophy of our culture says. That's how you respond when somebody wrongs you repeatedly. You cancel them. You write them off. But we, we may live in this culture, but we are not part of this culture. We are part of the kingdom of God as Christ followers. So we live by a different way. The way of Christ here. And to drive home this point, Jesus does something now. He tells a story. To drive home this point, we know these stories as parables. And he tells a story, a parable, about forgiveness. Look at it with me again. Notice how it starts in verses 23 and 24. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, one talent was roughly equivalent to a 1,000 weeks labor, or almost 20 years of work. So let me put that into perspective for you. A debt of 10,000 talents was more than a person could ever pay without winning the Holy Land lottery. In today's terms, we need to think of this as in terms of billions. And then notice what happens in verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And of course, this servant, he could not repay his debt. And so the king was basically saying to him, throw all of them into the debtor's prison. Let's cash them out. Let's cut our losses. Let's get what we can and move on. And then look at verses 26 and 27. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now you got to stop right there because that's absolutely amazing. It's astounding. The king released him from his debt. The king released him from his obligation. An astonishingly generous choice to do so. But the story takes an even more astonishing twist now here in verses 28 through 30. Notice what happens. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. One denarii equals about a day's wages. So this debt was equivalent or about a hundred days' wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. It's deja vu. In fact, the same line, it's the same line as in, as in we just read in verse 26. The guy who had been forgiven a bazillion dollars, in other words, is now choking his friend for a bonus check. He was unwilling to forgive his fellow servant and instead had him thrown in prison until he could pay back what he owed. And when the king found out about that, found out about the servant's harsh action, the king's now enraged. Look what it says in verses 32 to 34. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And the final verse in the story is one you should circle in your Bibles. Verse 35, you need to highlight verse 35. Look what it says. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now perhaps some of you here this morning, you are already thinking about someone who has hurt you or wronged you. And you're still trying to come up in your mind with reasons why you do not need to forgive them. And if you're not thinking that, give us some time, because you will. In fact, we all will, because that's what we all think in our hearts. And so for this reason, we need to answer another question. Why should I forgive? And so let me give you two reasons from this story here to choose forgiveness over bitterness. The first reason is this. Choose forgiveness because God has forgiven me. You see, Jesus, through this story that he tells, he he paints an impossible situation. Here's a man who owed a debt so enormous there was absolutely no way he could ever pay his debt back to the king. And so like this servant, here's the connection we need to make. All right, here's the connection of connecting the dots from the story Jesus tells, a parable, to our lives. Like this very servant, we, here this morning, we have a sin debt that we owe to God with no hope of ever paying it back. And we deserve way more than a debtor's prison. We deserve, the Bible says, the death penalty for our sin debt. In fact, Romans 6.23 says that. The wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So in the story, in the parable, the king did something that is just unheard of. He, he saw his servant's helplessness, and he had pity on him. But the king also did way more, far more than the servant asked or deserved. He actually released him and forgave him the debt. And that is what God does for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He freely forgives us. So let me give you two takeaways just from this right now this point here. First of all, the first takeaway, in Christ, through what Christ did on the cross and his resurrection, in Christ, we have received gracious and merciful forgiveness from God. There is no price tag that we could ever put on our forgiveness before an infinitely holy God. When you and I think to ourselves, well, I haven't sinned as much as this person or that person. When we think that way, we show that we have absolutely no clue as to the extent of our own sinfulness. Our debt, our debt, our sin debt is so enormous. But here's the good news. Christ has paid it all. He has paid it all. 
And now, out of compassion and mercy, the Father sent His Son to pay our sin debt on the cross. And now we, we are free from sin's death penalty. Praise God. In Christ, through Christ, our faith in Him, we have received gracious and merciful, we might even call it abundant, extravagant, lavish, generous forgiveness from God. Second takeaway now is as Christ followers, as those have, who have received it, we now extend gracious and merciful forgiveness to others. Now, just let me qualify here. Jesus is not saying that it's easy to forgive. He's not saying that. Jesus is not even saying it's natural to forgive. So in some ways, to expect unbelievers to apply all this and do all this, well, your expectations are, you're going to be one disappointed person. (laughs) It's not easy to forgive. It's not natural to forgive. But it is Christian to forgive. In fact, it's because of the great work of the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to forgive. In fact, John Isner writes, and and I just love the title of this book he wrote. He says, The Great Work of the Gospel. And here's what he says in his book. He says, When God's people are cut. And what he means by that, when God's people are cut, we're offended, we're injured, we're harmed by what people do, what people say, what they don't do, what they don't say, you name it. When God's people are cut, they bleed grace. And in the process, he says, they receive a transfusion of more grace. It's beautiful. You see, we we here, as Christ followers, we forgive because in Christ we have received extravagant, lavish, merciful, gracious forgiveness from God. And now we extend the same grace and forgiveness to those that hurt us. Now, in the story, in the parable, the servant owed the king millions of dollars. That was basically impossible for him to pay back. So let me ask you, what does somebody owe you? Millions of what? Millions of apologies, millions of this, millions of that. Jesus, through this story, is basically showing us and telling us, exhorting us, let it go. And release them from the debt they owe you. And extend to them what you have freely received from God, which is grace and mercy and forgiveness. So how harsh for this man who was forgiven an enormous debt to now go to another man who owed him a tiny fraction of that amount and actually put him in prison for failure to pay. We read this story and we're like, that's outlandish for that guy to do that. That's incredible. How? Are you serious? But we do the same thing. Do you realize that? When we hold on to a grudge 
and refuse to forgive. Listen, our debt to God is utterly unpayable. And just as the king freely forgave the servant, so God freely forgives us. And yet we turn around and we now withhold forgiveness from others, blind to the size of our own debt. Yes, people hurt you. That is true. Yes, people owe us a debt. That is true. Yes, the debt is real. That is true. But in relation to what we owe God, it is nothing. Think of it this way. Our sins are like a $50 million debt we can never repay in a lifetime or in a thousand lifetimes. And so we come to God as debtors. We come with empty hands and we basically say to God, I cannot pay back this sin debt. I am helpless and hopeless to do so. And God, who is rich in mercy, replies, I forgive all your sins. Listen, my son has paid your sin debt with his death on the cross and resurrection. You owe me nothing. And then, and then we rise from the pew. We walk out to the church saying, Lord, I lift your name on high. And before we even get into the car, we think of that person who hurt us. And we want to just grab him or her by the throat and shake them and say, you still owe me. Pay me now. It's no wonder we're so angry. It's no wonder we're so bitter. It's no wonder our relationships don't last. It's no wonder we we can't get along with people because we refuse to forgive. We're still holding on to this grudge that is killing us and killing our relationships. So why choose forgiveness over bitterness? Because, first of all, I have been forgiven by God, which now enables me, empowers me to forgive others. The second reason is this, number two, Choose forgiveness over bitterness because unforgiveness is way too costly. You need to understand something here. When you refuse to forgive a person, and instead you nurse the injury and you harbor resentment, look out. Look out. Because some major fallout or consequences are coming your way. You can see this so clearly in the life of the unforgiving servant. And if you look close enough, you can probably see it in your own life as well. So before you choose unforgiveness, you better count the cost because the price of unforgiveness, the price of holding on to that grudge is oh so costly. In fact, there are two consequences I would point out to you here this morning. First of all, unforgiveness destroys relationships. That's the first cost. Unforgiveness destroys relationships. You see, the unforgiving servant in the story must have been somewhat good friends with this other servant because, after all, he lent him some money. And you just don't go around lending strangers money, do you? So this one servant knew this other servant. They had to be more than acquaintances. I don't even lend acquaintances money. In fact, I don't even lend my son's money. (laughs) So you get the idea. And yet, how close do you think they were after he finished choking him? 
I doubt he had him over for dinner the next day to watch the Jewish Chiefs game, whatever that might mean or look like. No, he, he, he actually had his friend thrown in jail. Thrown in jail, in prison. Why? Because he didn't really want the money back. That was never the issue. This, this guy, he wanted something more than money. He wanted revenge. And that's what fuels a heart of unforgiveness. It's a desire to see that person suffer, to make them feel what they made me feel. And so mark it down. This attitude of unforgiveness, it will destroy, it will kill, it will ruin relationships with that person. So often we, we think, this is what we assume, it's what we think. We think the offense is what ruins a relationship. No, 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 no. It's never the offense. It's always an unforgiving heart that ruins the relationship ultimately. Robertson McQuilkin writes in his book, The Two Sides of Forgiveness. Listen to what he says. The sin of unforgiveness is a cancer that destroys relationships, eats away at one's own psyche, and worst of all, it shuts us off from God's grace. Now, that is not to diminish the offense. Listen, there are some offenses that are so horrible and, I mean, hurtful that you may never be able to trust that person again. So we're not diminishing abuses, sexual predators, and any other kind. We're not, God, Jesus is not diminishing the offense, but he is elevating the graciousness of forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. And we see that, how it triumphed at the cross of Jesus Christ over our hellacious debt of sin. So the first reason, the first cost here, two cons- first consequence is unforgiveness. Mark it down. It, it will eventually ruin your relationships. That, that relationship may be a coworker, might be a neighbor, might be a parent because of what they did to you when you were a child. Not even be within a marriage. The second consequence is this, though. Unforgiveness delivers painful consequences on my life. It delivers painful consequences on my life. Unforgiveness always torments me more than it does the other person. Look at verse 34 again. Look what it says. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, what's interesting in other Bible translations, this word jailers is actually sometimes translated as torturers. In fact, in some translations, it actually says, handed him over to the torturers or handed him over or delivered him over to the jailers to be tortured. So that's the idea here. Warren Wiersbe was right when he said, the world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, then we are only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. And that captures the essence of what Jesus is saying here. Listen, unforgiveness, it delivers painful consequences to your life. 
If you refuse to forgive those who injure you, life will become a massive, painful prison for you where nearly every human encounter passes through this grid of your own unresolved pain and bitterness and resentment. And if you go through life like an umpire, keeping score, recording every offense, your time on earth will only bring you heartache and pain. Misery. It really will be hell on earth for you. I promise you, every time you are slighted, you are offended, somebody sins against you, and you collect the issue into your hurt bag, then sooner or later, that hurt bag will overflow. It will fill up quickly, and you will need something bigger than a hurt bag. You will need a dumpster. And before long, your dumpster will overflow, and you will need a large truck to now transport your unresolved garbage. And if you continue to live this way in your life, you will have to move to the dump, and you'll wonder why. Why am I so down in the dumps? Well, you're living in the dumps. When it's really all it is, it's the pain of hauling around all the wrongs you've been unwilling to forgive. Listen, sad but true, God is still, quote, delivering people to the jailers, to the torturers, because of their refusal to forgive. And then Jesus concludes in verse 35 when he says, So also, so also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The Bible tells us in James chapter 2, verse 13, For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Are, are, you, are, are you ready to deal with that kind of judgment? God says you and I are going to be judged by the same standard we used with others. In fact, a person who over a, a lifetime refuses to forgive ultimately is revealing that he or she has never really comprehended nor have they received the forgiveness of God. And so the warning here by Jesus Christ himself is very serious. An unforgiving heart will deliver us to a painful prison, not only in this life, but if we don't change, if we don't respond to the offer of forgiveness that God gives us through Jesus Christ, then we will experience that painful prison in the next life. The Bible calls it hell. This, this is why. This is why we, we must receive God's forgiveness in Christ and then as a result extend God's forgiveness to others. So what we see in this parable is that there's an inseparable link between the forgiveness we receive from God and the forgiveness we extend to other people. There's a link to it, and you cannot separate it. In other words, what we see here is that if you receive forgiveness... From God, and you claim that, you profess that, I'm a Christ follower, I have received forgiveness of my sins. Not just once even, you know, there's a moment of salvation, but we know we continue to sin. I go to him and confess and receive even more forgiveness. 
and you claim that and profess that, if you receive it, then you are compelled here now to now extend that forgiveness. That's the whole point of the parable. In fact, we might summarize it this way. The defining mark from Jesus' story here of receiving God's forgiveness can be summarized this way. Forgiven people, forgive. Forgiven people, forgive. Jesus is teaching us that forgiveness is to be, listen to me, a way of life for the rest of our lives as forgiven people. Forgiveness is a way of being, it's a way of living, it's a way of relating, it's a way of thinking and seeing. Forgiveness is nothing less than the way of Christ. And if we're going to follow Christ, then it must become our way as well. So forgiveness is not an optional part of the Christian life. Listen, this is a necessary part of what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be forgiven. Forgiven people do what? What do they do? Say it. Forgive. And here's the point. If you don't forgive, if you refuse to forgive, then can you really say, in all honesty, I'm forgiven by Jesus Christ? There's a disconnect if that's what's going on in your life. Listen, the best incentive here to forgive, motivation, is simply to remember how much God has forgiven you of your sin debt. So if you think, I can't forgive, you need to seriously just contemplate your own forgiveness from God. You need to dwell on the magnitude of the grace of God that was extended to you through Christ. Why? Because forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people practice what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. He simply says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, and then he tells us why, or the motive, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So before we close, let's get to the really, the. I know this has been nitty-gritty, but let's just dive down even more to the nitty-gritty of forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive here this morning? Three tests at the bottom of your notes. Coming up on the screen. First test is the blame test. Are you blaming someone for your unhappiness and hurt in life? Now, you probably don't verbalize the blame. The blame goes through your mind. It's what you think when you're driving down the road. It's what you think when you see the person. If that's going on, that's probably a good indicator you got a forgiveness issue. You need to forgive. Number two, the bitterness test. Are you keeping score against someone who hurt you? Are you collecting debts and adding interest to it and never letting people off the hook? Another test. And then the last test is the behavior test. Are you acting differently because of resentment? Do you ever find yourself reacting to or resenting somebody in an overly emotional way because they remind you of somebody else that you resent? So three tests to kind of help you evaluate this. So who 
do you need to forgive here this morning? Yes, that person owes you a debt. No doubt about it. But because your debt to God has been forgiven, you can now forgive their debt to you through the power of God's grace that's been lavished on you. So let go of that grudge and choose to forgive. Like the merciful king in the story here, tell the one who hurt you, I choose to release you from the pain that resulted when you injured me. You don't owe me anything. I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. With your heads bowed. Before we pray, let me just remind you. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. And the reason some of you here this morning can't forgive is because you have yet to receive God's forgiveness. You need to first have your unpayable sin debt forgiven. And you can do that by turning to Jesus Christ. Listen, through faith in Christ, all your sins can be washed away forever. And so if that's you, man, now is the time to receive God's forgiveness in Christ by faith through grace. But the great majority of us here have already received forgiveness. And now we need to extend forgiveness. And to do anything less is way too costly and painful. So, Heavenly Father, please reveal to us here this morning those that we need to forgive. Would you shine the bright light of your truth into the dark corners of our hearts where we hide grudges? Would you help us to choose to forgive? Because it's something that you commanded us, we know it's possible. And because it's something that pleases you, we beg you to help us. Please help us to forgive deeply from our hearts as you have forgiven us. And wherever possible, as much as it depends on me, would you please heal our relationships? And in the name of Jesus, who paid the highest price for our forgiveness, amen.